Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. One of the ways that we can consider studying the ministry of the Lord Jesus is by considering the division between the period of time when the Lord spoke directly and openly and the period of time where he spoke indirectly and parabolically, or with parables. This is one of the ways that we can examine the ministry of the Lord Jesus. There are many ways to approach his ministry, but for this program, I would just like to take some time to focus on this specific way of studying his ministry, because I would like to talk about the parable of the talents. And this is a good way to start, by explaining that it really was a parable. But what's important to consider is that if it is a parable, what was the message that Jesus was intending to convey? That is the question that I believe really needs to be considered. Because when we consider the idea of a parable, it can be very easy to make all kinds of assumptions with regards to the intended message that the person was intending to convey through the parable. And because this is a parable, and because it is an indirect means of communication, it being parabolic, not direct, but coming around a particular subject, because of this, it can be very easy, it can be very convenient even sometimes, to suggest that Jesus was intending to say something that he wasn't. People will do that because they want to say something else that they believe is important. For example, one of the most popular ways that people will use or apply the parable of the talents is to put you on a very serious guilt trip, to put tremendous pressure on you, to put expectations on you that you have to fulfill. And if you don't, then you will be faced with the condemnation of God. People will use this parable in that way. It's not unusual. People will say things like, the Lord has provided you with a certain amount of wealth, for example, a certain amount of wealth that can be measured either in property or with money or something. And if you fail to use that in a way that, well, whoever is telling you this says is appropriate, if you fail to be a good steward of what has been given then you are going to be faced with the judgment of God, and of course, then a person will proceed to explain to you how they believe you should handle or manage those things that you have so that you will be declared a good steward. Otherwise, there is great risk. The Lord may intervene in your life and take everything away from you. This parable is often used in this way, not just in the context of money or wealth, People will use this in the context of gifts or talents, talents in the sense of things that you are able to do well that perhaps others are not able to do as well as you are. If you fail to use those specific skills 
or those abilities that you have that obviously God has given you, if you fail to use those effectively, then this parable is probably talking about you. And you had better do something to correct your mismanagement of the talents or the gifts or the skills that the Lord has blessed you with. If you fail to make a proper correction, then the Lord might take it all away from you in some way, in some dramatic, effective way, so that you are sure to know, you will be sure to know that He has intervened and He has punished you. He has punished you in such a way that you will certainly know that you violated the parable that he describes. This is how this parable is normally used. I certainly don't believe any of this, but I want you to understand what a lot of people believe, and I want to explain it to you in a very direct and simple way, because I don't want to use a lot of time in this program explaining these things to you, a very direct and simple way to summarize Pretty much the entire message that gets conveyed by most people who are teaching through this passage in the scriptures. Now, I do believe that we have been forgiven. I do believe that the Lord does not hold our sins against us anymore because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, which was to take away all of our sins, he did that so that we would never be faced with condemnation or shame, or the threat of punishment in this context. And so I sincerely believe that these conclusions that people come to are in direct violation, are in direct contradiction to what I believe is clear concerning the crucifixion and the forgiveness that has been executed on our behalf and has been given to us because of what Christ Jesus did. And so on that basis, I could simply say that these interpretations or these parabolic teachings of this parable, I don't believe that they are valid. I could explain it from that point of view and just leave it at that. But instead, in this program, I'm going to spend some time talking about what I believe this parable really means and how the Lord Jesus used it. Now, let me make this very simple to start with, and so you don't have to wait until the end necessarily, although I will explain more at the end, and so do listen to all of this program, of course, but I believe that the Lord Jesus had a fundamental message before he began teaching parabolically, and that this same message was continually taught by the Lord Jesus after he decided to teach parabolically. In other words, I believe, looking at the parables, It's my perception that the Lord Jesus continued to teach the same message. He simply taught it in a different way, in an indirect way, using parables, because his direct approach obviously did not put him in a position where he could legitimately fulfill the prophecies concerning the Messiah at this time with regards to setting up the kingdom, because the people were not willing to accept him for who he was and for what he came to accomplish. So I personally believe that he taught parabolically, but he continued to teach the same message. And I will explain that again in a few minutes. To begin with, let's start with the talent. The talent in this case is certainly not some special ability or some special skill. It really is a certain measurement of gold. Now, that would mean something to the people at this time in history. During our time in history, it may not mean the same thing 
to the people today as it meant to the people back then. And so I would like to spend a few minutes explaining to you what the people would have understood when he spoke about a talent of gold. When it comes to being a participant in society, in any society, the society that we have today is very similar to the societies that have been in existence throughout history. They're similar in the sense that every society, every civilization, every economy, every way that a person sustains themselves or establishes a livelihood can be summarized in three ways. It can be summarized in the sense that people are involved in transportation, they're involved in storage, and they are involved in production. Transportation, storage, and production. That's a simple way of describing the way that people live, the way that people participate in the world that they are a part of. Let me give you a simple example concerning Jerusalem at this time. Now, Jerusalem was well known for making carpets, making rugs, making clothing. There were a lot of people involved in the textile industries in that sense. They were very much involved in taking wool, spinning it into thread, weaving it into clothing or weaving it into rugs or carpets or tents or whatever. And then there were fullers who would then work that wool in such a way that it would become more resistant to water. And then there were tailors who could perhaps take what was produced and make specialized clothing out of what was weaved and what was fullered. There was a lot of industry in Jerusalem during the time of the Lord Jesus, and this is how it worked. It was very simple. You had shepherds who were in the surrounding regions, and the shepherds raised sheep. Just to give you an example, they raised the sheep. That was an act of productivity. They cared for the sheep. They made sure that the sheep had what they needed in order to live and to survive. And they took the wool from the sheep, and they made that available for other people to use. They produced wool. That was what they produced. They were involved, quite likely, in transportation, in transporting the wool from one location to another, from the place where they cut the wool off of the sheep, and then they provided it for the persons who would then use it and spin it into thread. And so they were involved in transportation. They were involved in production. They would also be involved in storage to an extent. They would need to keep the sheep somewhat sheltered during times when they would need to be sheltered or they would need to shelter themselves in order to be available to look after the sheep. They would need some form of shelter for themselves in order to do that in the event that it rains, for example. And so they knew what it meant to have transportation and storage mechanisms and the production that they were involved in was to produce the wool. They would make that available for the spinners. The spinners would need to store the wool while they were spinning it, store the equipment that they would be using in order to spin the wool. Transportation, storage, and production. They would be taking the wool and producing something out of it. The spinners would then give it to the weavers and then they would produce something with the threads that were spun and then they would make what they produced available for the tailors that they could then use and refine into items such as clothing or other things. Now, what you also need to consider is that we started with the wool, just to give you an example. You start with the wool and then you add your labor to the wool in order to spin it into thread. And then you add labor 
to the thread that was manufactured and use it, use your labor to weave it into something bigger. And then that is used in conjunction with labor. There is a combination of the resource and the labor in order to produce other things. And you also need to account for the necessary storage and transportation that is necessary in order to complete transactions as you are engaged in this type of commerce. So we have capital, which is the resources, and then we have labor. And when you put those two things together, then you can produce things of value. You can produce wealth. Now, in order to engage in these transactions, in order for the spinner to acquire the wool, they would normally use money. And at this time in history, the money that they used was gold and silver and copper and other things. The talent of gold that the Lord Jesus refers to is a certain amount of gold that could be used for a transaction such as this. In other words, the spinner has to obtain the wool. They need money in order to trade for the wool. Then they will combine their labor with the wool to produce something of greater value. They will sell that to the weavers who will give them more money than what they started with. Otherwise, they're not going to be doing this for very long. Assume that they would give perhaps the equivalent of one ounce or maybe ten ounces of gold to the shepherd. Assume that they would give ten ounces of gold to the shepherd for a collection of wool. They would then transport that or somebody would transport that to the storage location that the spinner would then use that. They would spin it into thread and then perhaps they might take that and sell what they produced for 20 ounces of gold. They could double the amount of gold that they started with by using their labor and by choosing to engage in a certain activity of commerce. They would be a part of society in such a way that they would produce something of value. The weavers could then take the thread and weave perhaps a tent. The weaver may take the materials that they used that perhaps cost them 20 ounces of gold and then they could sell that for maybe 40 ounces of gold. That they combined their labor with the capital in order to produce something of value. This is what the parable is about. That people would understand, that people would recognize if they only had 10 ounces of gold approximately, they could be involved in the society as a spinner. If they had 20 ounces of gold, I'm just giving you approximations, of course, they can be involved in society as a weaver. If they have 40 ounces of gold, perhaps they can be involved in society as a tailor. Every skill or every trade has its own capital requirements, its own capital requirements in order to engage in that trade. Now, reading through the parable, and I don't think I'm going to be reading through the parable because I don't have a lot of time in this program, reading through the parable, it gives the indication that the level of trade that the people were involved in who received the talents, one received one talent, another received five talents, another received three talents, they were involved in purchasing things that had already been produced, And they were selling those things. And so it does not appear that they were involved in production. They were more than likely involved in a short-term mechanism of storage, but more than likely transportation. 
transporting materials from one person to another and then selling those materials for a profit. That's just my impression from reading this. I do believe that other impressions could be obtained. I'm just giving you an approximation, and it would be reasonable considering the amount of gold that we're talking about. A talent of gold is measured differently depending upon the culture. The Greeks measured it one way, the Romans measured it another way, the Hebrews measured it in another way during different times in history. It could very well have been somewhere between 60 and maybe 130 pounds, just to give you an idea concerning the variations of measurements. 60 to 130 pounds. I'm going to try to make it simple and say that it could very well have been, perhaps, somewhere between the value of one and one and a half years worth of labor. Now, that value that I'm describing could very well be an amount of money in a sense of gross. In other words, not considering the expenses, what it costs to live in order to house yourself and house your stuff and obtain food to eat. I would say perhaps a year or a year and a half's worth of labor would be the equivalent of one talent. That much money, that much gold, would be a lot of gold. One talent or five talents or three talents of that would put you in a position where you could engage in certain economic activities that do require that much capitalization. Activities such as that will often be defined by your level of skill or your level of contacts or your ability to negotiate with people in a way that both people, yourself and the other person, benefit greatly. Not to say that you're taking advantage of somebody. Negotiation can always be done in a way that people benefit mutually. My point, however, is to say that this would normally require a significant amount of skill. The amount of gold that was given to each servant did represent their capacity or their capabilities of using capital in a way that they could be productive. Notice in the parable, if you read through it, you'll notice that the person who received three talents was able to double their money. The person who received five talents was able to double their money. So it doesn't really matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how much you have. The economic activity that you are involved in can still double the money that you have. There are ways to measure that. Now, of course, some skills or some economic activities do not require that much capital And when they do not require that much capital, they may not generate that much of a return. Sometimes this is the case. It's one way to measure the value of certain trades, just to give you an example. And so sometimes people will try either horizontal expansion in the sense that the spinner will try to spin a lot more wool into more thread. That would be considered to be a horizontal expansion or perhaps hire people to help and then pay them a little bit less than what they would be worth, and so that the person who engaged in the risk of hiring them can make a profit, justifying the job that they created. That's called a horizontal expansion. Or a person can engage in a vertical expansion, whereas the spinner can also engage in weaving, and the weaver can also engage in fullering. And the fuller can also engage in tailoring, or the weaver can get involved in fullering and then tailoring, and then maybe set up a clothing store. People can integrate vertically 
in order to engage in those higher dollar transactions so that they can benefit from their lower skill activity in such a way that they can keep the profits from the lower level skills to higher level skills when they are engaged in activity that requires greater skill, then they can benefit even more in a vertical integration. This is how societies operate, and this is what people would be thinking of when they heard the parable of the talents, and they heard about the people who were given a certain amount. It would place them in a certain category with regards to what part of society they could participate in, what part of commerce they could engage in. Now, I believe that this really has nothing to do with the money. It has to do with what they were given. But if you understand what it means to live in the flesh, I do believe you can understand what it means to live in the spirit using what we know about the flesh. If we know about the things of the world, he can speak to us about things in heaven, the things of the kingdom of God. As he told Nicodemus, if you won't believe the things of the earth, if you won't believe the things that I explained to you here, how are you going to believe the things that I tell you about in heaven? The same idea. If a person can understand the value of the resource, the talent of gold, the pile of wool, the thread, if they understand the value and they can utilize what is given to them, if they can use what they have, either because it was given or they bought it, if people know how to use what they have in conjunction with their labor and the things that they know, if they can use those things in order to create greater wealth, then I believe a person can capture the depths of what the Lord Jesus is referring to. So what is the Lord Jesus referring to? Well, I explained at the beginning of this program that it's the same message. What was the message? The message was, you have been given the law of Moses. Try to live by the law of Moses so it will lead you to the point of despair so that you can see that you have a need for forgiveness and so that you can be saved. It's the same message. He told the people that they had been given the law and that they were not good stewards of the law. And because they were not good stewards of the law, it was going to be taken away from them and given to those who will be good stewards of the law and who are good stewards of the law, those who use it for the purpose that it was given. What was it given for? In order to lead people to the Messiah. Those who are in the New Covenant today can still use the law effectively to show a person their need for forgiveness, their need for the mercy of God. That's all it is. It's a simple parable that explains indirectly that the people at this time were being irresponsible with what God gave. He was going to take it away from them in that sense to give it to those who would be responsible to use it for the purpose that it was given for and more would be given to them which I believe can be a reasonable summary of what it means to live in the new covenant now, to live in Christ Jesus, that now we have been given more. What have we been given? We have been given an inheritance in Christ Jesus. He has given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. But instead of thinking about life and godliness, what are people thinking about? They are thinking about what are they going to do 
with the money that they have or what are they going to do with the skills or the abilities that they have instead of thinking about what the Lord has given to them in Christ Jesus. We have received everything that we need for life and godliness, but we have no idea, in general, people have no idea what to do with what they have. They don't know what to do with forgiveness. They don't know what to do with the acceptance of God, with the love of God. They do not know what to do with the wisdom and the insights of God. They don't know what to do with their lives in the sense that they do not know what it means to build and create spiritual life, being a participant with the living God in generating the spiritual life of God in this abstract way through taking the resources that he provides in Christ Jesus and living your life with what you have. When you do that, the end result will be greater than the original, to use the example I just gave earlier, the original resource. The resource that he gives to you is something that you utilize in conjunction, not with labor, not with work, in conjunction with your belief, in conjunction with your trust. And what gets produced is of greater value than what you had before. This is what it means to be responsible with what the Lord gives to you. He gave the law. The people did not use it for the purpose that it was given for. The new believer in Christ Jesus, according to the new covenant, can now receive the law. It has been taken from one group given to the believers in Christ Jesus who can now use it appropriately, even to this day, it can still be utilized to draw people to the living God. The additional resources that I believe the Lord speaks of prophetically has to do with the inheritance we have in Christ Jesus. This is the parable of the talents. Now, some good programs to follow up with after listening to this program, are definitely the programs that I produced on the will of God and our identity in Christ. Because in the programs that I produced on the will of God, I spoke about the inheritance, the inheritance that we receive as a result of his death. And our identity in Christ is an expansion from that subject. So I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs as a good follow-up to this one on The Talents. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,